0: Good Sunday morning everyone. How much we wish you could be here with us physically present because the truth is for me this isn't Sunday morning at all. This is Thursday night and I'm here in the sanctuary and I'm all alone. Uh, that's meant uh, for the past hour i've gotten to play with all the stuff that only the worship team gets to play with i had a chance to stand where they normally stand and feel like i'm one of the cool kids i got to touch the instruments and uh, normally if i were holding a guitar they'd rightly so just turn me right off but but not tonight but how much richer and how much fuller and how much better It would be to be here together, and that's the day that we long for, and that's the day that in so many different sectors of society, we know is coming. And until the day comes, we hope. That's the important lesson we're learning together in these opening days of the new year. We're learning the lesson of hope. Hope is the anticipation of good, It's not just optimism. Optimism is not a bad thing. It's the tendency to believe that things will turn out well, but that's not hope. Hope comes from elsewhere. Hope comes from someplace deeper. Hope is the conviction that with God in your life, your efforts have meaning to them, no matter how the situation turns out, that there is purpose and significance to your life. Hope we're learning, and we started this last week, requires three strands. It requires imagination, and desire, and belief. And as we begin, I'd love to have you begin with me by imagining that you're a person of hope. That's how it starts. If you want to be a person of hope, it starts by imagining what that would look like. Let me give you an example. Tom Moore. Tom is a 99 year old man. He had hip surgery last year and he decided that he would combine his own rehab with fighting COVID. And he would do that by walking 10 lengths a day of his little garden and inviting him to sponsor, inviting people to sponsor him in that activity. And his goal, his plan was to maybe raise about $10 per per length, and, and somehow get to $1,000 raised to aid in the fight against COVID. But somehow, somehow the thought of a 99-year-old World War II vet who had broken his hip and recovered, walking to help other people, somehow it just caught people's imagination. He'd hoped to raise $1,000. At last count, he'd raised over 650,000 donations for just shy of $23 million. You could say he overshot by just a little bit. But but here's the thing. You will never do more than you hope to do if you don't begin at least to hope for something. So let's start with that, with that act of imagination, a hope that doesn't give up, a hope that says we will find a way and it will not be stopped. Imagine that you're the kind of person who can look at pandemic and recession and fear and isolation, can look them square on in the face of uncertainty, convinced in your soul that God will be at your side and that better days lie ahead. Can you imagine that? Imagine being so filled with hope that other people catch inspiration just by being around you. Imagine you wake up in the morning eager for the day. Imagine you have a hope that won't give out. About 50 years ago, a football player, a man named Joe Namath, wrote a book called I Can't Wait Until Tomorrow Because I Get Better Looking Every Day. Joe's about 80 years old now. And if he's looking forward to tomorrow, it's that's well, probably not for that reason anymore. I get better looking every day. But... Imagine when you go to bed at night that you can't wait to hop out of bed tomorrow because you're convinced that God will be there with you. Imagine your life is, is so filled with noble goals and wonderful hopes and, and significant plans, and you celebrate your victories and you learn from your failures, and you're never going to get stuck in the past because the future is always there and it's calling you by name. And when you do all of that, imagine yourself as the person of hope, who holds that hope so vividly that it just aches. You ache for it. And you actually realize as you ache for it that there are little things that you could do in your life to edge and nudge yourself in that direction of being a person of greater hope. And as you do that, let me remind you of the prayer that we're offering up together in this series. It's from Romans 15 and verse 13. You might want to pray these words along with me. May the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, today in our service, I'm excited about this. We're going to weave together learning from God and responding God. To God. We're going to use music because music has a way of imprinting in our bodies and in our hearts and in our memories the things that we are contemplating with our minds. And so rather than just one long message, we are going to reflect and then celebrate and sing and then reflect some more and celebrate and sing and the first song that we bring this morning is, is actually based on an ancient and a powerful set of words. It comes from the Heidelberg Catechism. Listen to these words. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone. Christ alone. Who holds our days within his hands? What comes apart from his command? And what will keep us to the end? the love of Christ in which we stand. Sing hallelujah. Our hope springs eternal.
1: What well, is our hope in life and death? Christ what will be.
0: beautiful new song, uh, probably new for most of you. It was, it was new for me. Oh, sing hallelujah. Our hope springs eternal. We're learning today how to actually grow in hope and what it is that you can do to become a more hope-filled human being. And we're going to do that by looking at the man in the Bible, in the Psalms, who actually writes more about hope than anyone else in Scripture. His name was David. And we're going to spend a few minutes walking through David's life to see how a world class hoper comes into existence. Hope starts here. Be clear on what it is that you hope for. One day when David was just a kid, the youngest of eight older brothers, uh, he was called in front of a prophet, a man named Samuel, who poured a jar of oil over his head, anointing him and told him that one day David, not any of his elder, more pedigreed brothers, but David was going to be king. And then the prophet Samuel left town. And David and his other brothers, they went back to work. And David was out herding sheep. And for who knows how many years, he just kept doing his same old job. Nothing changed except this one thing. There's that seed of hope, that kernel that had been planted deep in his life. David has a future. And he starts dreaming about that future. What kind of king might he be? how he might unite Israel, how he might lead the people to God, bring the ark to Jerusalem, write songs and play music of worship, build the temple, have an heir, give birth to a grand and glorious new kingdom in God's name. As you reflect just a little bit on David's life, I want to invite you today to to take a kind of hope inventory. In this season, we've all kind of gotten used to taking inventory. We inventory our food and household supplies. We do so to minimize the number of trips we need to make out to the store. We don't want to hoard, but we don't want to run out. Well, high hope people, hope-filled people, take an inventory of their hopes. Low hope people just sort of have this vague collection of jumbled up wishes that just come and go in their life, in their life. But This week, maybe today, take some time to do a hope inventory. Start by listing out the things in your life that you really hope for. Not the things that you think you ought to have, but just be honest. And if it helps, maybe you want to start with these three categories. First, what are the things that you hope to have now these could be tangible things. I, I hope to have enough money to retire well. I, I hope to have enough to be generous. I, I hope to live in this kind of place or drive that kind of car. It could be intangible things. I hope to have good friends. I hope to have a joyful family or a healthy body or a happy marriage. But those are those are your having hopes. But go deeper. What is it that you hope to do? David was working as a shepherd, but he was hoping to do great things as a king. What is it that you want to do? Not just your paycheck, but start there. What is it that you want to do for a living? What do you want to do with your volunteering? What do you want to do with your life? What kind of experiences do you hope to have? What kind of things do you want to engage in, in travel, in play, in vacation? All that stuff matters. It matters to God. What is it that you hope to learn? What skills do you hope to acquire along the way? So what is it that you hope to do? And here's the third thing. What is it that you hope to become? Maybe you hope to be less fearful, or more honest, or more wise, or more compassionate. Maybe this whole season, the life of our world is teaching you to be more patient. Feel free to give an elbow to somebody who's sitting next to you if you're not alone. Maybe you hope to be a better truth teller or freed from addiction or someone who, someone who expresses more servanthood around the house. Feel free to elbow somebody again. Was it, what is it that you're hoping for in your relational life, your physical life, your spiritual life? Do an inventory of your hopes. Great hopers have great goals for the future. They don't, they don't just drift. They're always pressing on, to use Paul's language. They press on towards the mark, towards that high calling in their life. And I want to encourage you in this. Write it down. Write down what you want your future to look like. What is one step, having written it down, that you could take today that would move you, that would nudge you forward into tomorrow? Hey, and if you want to, put that in the chat if you have that feature available to you. Inspire somebody else with that. And when you consider all of this, I want you to listen to this scripture these verses from Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 7, this scripture that powerfully reminds us that it's God who gives birth to these kind of hopes in us. First Peter 1 says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for in his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope. He has done this through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And in all of this, you greatly rejoice, though for now, For a little while, you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, that these things may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Church, let's sing those words together. Those words of living hope. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope.
1: Who could I am forgiven, the King of kings calls me His own. Beautiful Savior, I'm Yours forever, Jesus Christ, my living.
0: Jesus Christ is the source of our hope, our living hope. But there is a role in becoming a world-class hoper that you and only you can play. And that's the next step, the thing that great hopers do. They take responsibility for cultivating and seeing those hopes flourish in their life. A hopeful person is somebody for whom hope has become a habit. Hope as a habit. And you know these people because you want to be around them in times of crisis. Their hope isn't fickle. It doesn't come and go. It's solid. It's kind of like a thermometer reads a temperature, but a thermostat sets the temperature, These people use hope as a thermostat. They set the level, and it has a way of warming the people around them. One of the most famous stories about David is his encounter with an enemy named Goliath. Now, Goliath, if he had done nothing else, we know he had done this. He had absolutely shattered the hopes of Israel. But then comes David, and he whispers to his older brother Eliab, I can take him. Now, what's striking is Eliab didn't say, go get him, David. I'm so proud of you. Way to go, little brother. We're with you. No, he says, you can't beat him. That's Goliath. Who do you think you are? Stop running off at the mouth. Go home, David. I promise you this. When you dare to have hope, you will find a lot of people who tell you what you cannot do. And I don't know why, but there's just something about moving forward with big plans, with great dreams and high energy that brings out the naysayers. I didn't stop David. and David just starts telling other people, I can take them. And word gets to King Saul, but Saul's not that hopeful either. King Saul tells David, says, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. It feels like every soldier in Israel's army has lost hope. And they've lost hope for an important reason. Remember, hope involves three elements, imagination, desire, and belief. Could the other Israelites imagine Goliath being defeated? Sure. Did they want Goliath defeated? Absolutely. Did they believe that that Goliath could be defeated? No way. I mean, that's what they lacked. That's why they didn't have hope. It's why why they couldn't prevail. They didn't believe. And why is it that David continues to believe that he could do it when all the older, bigger, more mature and experienced men told him it could not be done? Because he had learned hope. David talks about this. He tells the king about it. About those days when as a shepherd, a lion or a bear would come and carry off one of the sheep. And he went out after it. Struck it down. Rescued the sheep. He wasn't just there guarding sheep. He was growing hope. And he doesn't tell Saul, listen, I learned that I could defeat lions and bears. Listen to what he says. 1 Samuel 17, verse 37. It was the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. And he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. I mean, folks, the truth is this. You can, you can hear somebody say a hundred times, God is faithful. You can replay this message again and again. You could read it a hundred times in a book. But you will never come to really believe it, to live it in your bones until you've lived it in real life. There's a big difference between hoping and just wishing. Wishing doesn't cost you anything. Hope includes the joyful embrace of my responsibility. Hope pushes me. Hope energizes me. Hope acts. And therefore, hope grows. One of the secrets that high hope people know that they practice, is that they are constantly imagining and wanting and believing, but then proactively moving forward towards the things that they want and that they imagine and that they believe. Now, that doesn't require always some big dramatic life-changing steps. Mostly, it's learning how to add a little bit of hope to the ordinary challenges of life like like David the shepherd did. Maybe you're you're struggling with working from home. Temptation is always to procrastinate, to give less than your best. Maybe the goal is to spend 15 minutes joyfully joyfully interacting with a coworker online tomorrow. Or to spend one solid hour, free of all other distractions, focused just on the task. Maybe you've been laid off altogether. A lot of people have. And you're tempted to lose hope. Maybe you commit to this. I'm going to spend an hour on the telephone, networking and making connections, that until I find full-time work, finding full-time work will be my full-time work. Maybe you've been physically lethargic. A lot of us have. And a lot of people are wrestling with it. You could spend an hour walking outside today. You can do just that. Maybe it's a tough parenting challenge. This season is tough on everybody. But I have to say, it has probably been a killer for parents with young children. Let me tell you, if you're a single parent right now, oh my goodness. It just feels impossible some days. You're facing financial challenge, your job challenge, health challenge. You're elderly, you're vulnerable, you're single, you're alone. It's really, really hard. And You're not crazy for thinking so. Don't despair, though. You're not alone. Right there at your side is a God who rescues from lions and bears, who's there with you when you confront giant foes, and he'll be with you too. It was in in those everyday trials when nobody was watching, in the unglamorous job of working as a shepherd, that David was learning to cultivate hope, becoming a world class hoper, maybe just doing it one bear at a time. It can be It can be a helpful thing, you know to name your commitment. To growing in hope. So I want you, uh, I want to invite you to listen to this song, to listen to these words, to sing along because most of you will know these words. But as you sing them, to use them as a commitment, a chance to say to God, I can't do this on my own, but you and I, we can do it together. And I'm committed to seeking your help and together. We will grow in hope. So here's the song. Great is thy faithfulness.
1: Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. I don't love to
0: those words, his mercies never fail, they're new every morning, great is your faithfulness. Those were first the words of Jeremiah. He sung them, and then all of Israel learned to sing them. I can imagine young David singing similar words when he was a boy out there shepherding those sheep thousands of years ago, and and now we sing them. I was thinking earlier today. Uh, I'm an early riser. I, I miss those early Sunday morning services, you know, the ones where the worship team get here at 7 o'clock and they start warming up and tuning up and rehearsing and people start to arrive at 8 o'clock and by 9 o'clock we get going and worship. Hey, a shout out to everybody who would normally be here for the 9 a.m. service. It's a marvelous, really tightly knit group. And as we experience and join and worship, it just, it just feels like family. And those who lead us in worship, they feel like our friends. And maybe this is like an odd analogy. But it's kind of like if you ever go to aerobics class and they're cheering you on. You're doing the aerobics, but they're cheering you on. They're cheering you on. So up here right now, there's, there's Edmund and Abby and Adam and Bashar and Rochelle and Ali and Wanda and Sarah and Jonathan and Job. And on goes the list. And we just want to say we miss you all so much. And on behalf of the church, we want to say thank you for what you do. That God uses you to breathe life into each of us. I mean, that's our hope, that that happens for you week by week, and that it even happens over, over this online connection. Worship is not a musical performance. It's an essential part of a life of a hope-filled person. But learning must always lead to worship. Because if we're learning about God and if we really believe it, we can't help but Cry out at some point, Great is thy faithfulness, O God. And worship, on the other hand, shouldn't really happen without learning, without our minds being fully engaged. If it happens without it, it, it just becomes, I don't know, chasing after an emotional experience, one sort after another, after another. And we have the chance to combine. Learning in our minds and worship in our hearts. And, and oh my goodness, uh, a primary gift that God uses to grow hope within us is the gift of gathering together for worship, of being surrounded by people who lead us and inform us and encourage us. Sunday by Sunday, the people who gather here or an online community. Wednesday nights, the people who join together in prayer, in our small groups, those who are fostering, mentoring relationships, they build relationships of hope. David had one of those relationships in his life. He had a friend named Jonathan. Jonathan was actually the son of old King Saul. He was the heir of old King Saul. Jonathan should have been, by all rights, the king himself. But instead we're told this, that one day Jonathan gave to his friend David the royal robe and his own tunic and his own sword and his own bow. Why would he do that? And it was a very clear, very memorable, symbolic way of Jonathan naming David rather than himself as the future king. It's one of the most breathtaking moments in all of the Old Testament. It's an unbelievably noble sacrifice, not something you would ever see in Game of Thrones. Jonathan does this. He says, David, when I look at you, I see a king. I see my king. When I look at you, I see God's anointed, and that doesn't bother me. I'm not jealous about it. I celebrate it. David, my friend, I want you to always remember who God made you to be. And every time you wear this robe, every time you hold this sword, I want you to remember and never settle for anything less. Can you imagine how that would have impacted David? They were young friends when all that happened. Very shortly after, they were separated by circumstances. In fact, David would never see his friend Jonathan again. Jonathan would die relatively young, but that friendship, it marked David to the end of his life. And I wonder sometimes how often David, through the years, might pull out that sword when he was alone or when he was on the run or when he had a great victory, or when he repented of a great sin, that he didn't just pull out that robe and drape it around himself and remember what his friend had called out in him. And I think about the contrast between his older brother Eliab and Jonathan. It's just amazing, you know. The, The man who was born to be David's brother became his rival. And the man who was born to be his rival Became his brother. And the friendship of Jonathan, it grew hope inside David. So here's the first thing to do, the first takeaway from that part of David's story. Think about who the Jonathans are in your life, identify them, do it by name, and if you can, thank them today. Tell them to take really good care of themselves because you can't afford to lose them. Let them know what they mean to you. Maybe you're thinking, I, I don't know that I've ever really had a Jonathan. Or maybe you're also thinking, you know what? Maybe I could be like a Jonathan for someone else. In either case... What a great opportunity to do that here. Over the course of the next few months, not today, but in future weeks, we want to profile some of those David and Jonathan relationships, those mentoring relationships. I think you'll be encouraged by their stories. But until we get to those, I i wonder if you could start by deliberately contacting one person this week, somebody with whom you wouldn't normally have a reason to be in touch and do it for the simple reason of encouraging them of, of whispering a word of hope into their lives there may never be another season in our lifetime when people appreciate or need encouragement and hope as much as they do right now and who knows that person might even be right next to you in the room You know, we sometimes talk about MCBC being a three-chair church. That idea comes from Psalm 78, where the psalmist says, those things that our ancestors passed on to us, we will not neglect, and we, in turn, will pass them on to our children. It's our dream for a a healthy, high-functioning church, that there is always a place for those who came before, and that there will always be a place for the now. This is our day, but... But then there are those who will come after us and we want to make absolutely sure that there is a place for them. And how do we make sure that things get passed between the chairs, that nothing gets neglected? It's one of the best parts of of what it means to be a multi-generation church that, that anyone can be a hope passer. It's not just other people Sometimes it's you. You are a receiver and you are a giver. But you know, as good as that is, there's something even better. And Here's the next step in growing hope. Invite God into the conversation. Bring God in. Uh, Maybe that sounds kind of trite, but... It's amazing how often we don't do this. When David was young, the prophet Samuel anointed him, and Saul, the king, employed him. And the army loved him, and people sang songs about him. And for a time, it felt like everything that he touched turned to gold until it didn't. Until Saul got jealous and turned on him and tried to kill him. And over time, David lost his job and his income, and his status, and his security, and his best friend. And he spent 10 years on the run, and he lived in a cave. And he attracted maybe some followers, but they weren't much to write home about. Listen to the way the Old Testament describes them. This is 1 Samuel 22, 2. These are his followers. All those who came to him were in distress or in debt or discontented. They gathered around him and he became their leader. How would you like that for your life group? <laughs> Here's your small group at the church, the three Ds, distress, debt, and discontent. To make things worse, one day they returned to their little makeshift village and had been raided, and their possessions and their wives and their children, it was all gone. And when this happened, we're told, this is First Samuel 30, verse 4, So, David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. I mean, David was literally cried out. It just couldn't get any worse until it did. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking about stoning him. I'll bet he was distressed. He'd lost everything. He's a fugitive. He's a failure. Now he's a marked man living in a cave, and his own ragged little community was ready to kill him. He had literally no one to turn to until he did. One of my favorite statements in the Bible is this. 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. If you have your own Bibles, turn to that, because this is one to underline. 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. But David encouraged himself in the Lord. And we really should pause here. What do you think that moment was like for David? What kind of thoughts do you think were running through his mind? What, what do you think David imagined his future as being? But David encouraged himself in the Lord. One of the things I've learned about myself, especially in this last season of life, when when I have faced maybe more challenges than I have in any previous season, is that I'm not careful. I can actually discourage myself in the Lord. I go to God when it's time to pray and and all I do is rehearse the ways in which I'm inadequate. And listen, God is never a God of discouragement. The text doesn't say then God discouraged himself from the Lord and God was glad because God likes it when we grovel. I mean, God can, can bring painful thoughts to mind. And the conviction of sin and, and sometimes those deep prophetic words of challenge that we need in order to work for justice and goodness. But but God's desire is never to bring despair. So let me ask you, do you find yourself getting more or less easily discouraged these days? Because here's the lesson that the great hopers have learned. When the peace of Christ is really reigning in my heart, Not just a song that I sing, not just a sticker on my Bible, but when the peace is really reigning in my heart, I don't get discouraged so easily. So let me encourage you to do this, to take time in this season Many of you have more time now than you've had before and that you will likely have again. Take time to be aware of your thoughts. Maybe don't try and fight them or control them. Just be aware of them. Are they bringing hope into your life, or are they robbing you of it? And then just try this. Invite God into your thoughts. I mean, each day as you ask yourself, am I getting more discouraged or more hopeful, be honest about it, your level of hopefulness. But if you find discouragement is a problem, remember this, that God's desire is not despair. That you, right now, in your little cave, can do what David did in his. You can invite him in. Encourage yourself in the Lord. Invite him in. I don't want you to miss this moment. In fact, I think this would be a good moment just to stop and try that, to do it right now, to encourage yourself in the Lord. The beautiful words of Psalm 42. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. As you invite God into your life right now, we're going to invite Rochelle, and this is this is a really significant opportunity for you and for her. One of the new songs that she has written as part of the album due to be released very soon is based on those very words from Psalm forty two entitled O My Soul, listen to these words Be secure and grow confident, O my soul. For your Father's arms are open, and beloved is your name. O oh, my soul, find rest in his embrace. Invite God in.
1: be stolen away, let not despair take root, be not downcast within me, oh my soul, for the goodness of the Lord pursues you now.
0: Oh, my soul, find rest in his embrace. That leads us to the final dimension of growing hope. Learn to guard, to really guard your ultimate hope. This is so important. We're going to spend a whole week on this later in the series. I don't just mean hope for tomorrow or next week or next year, hope for this relationship or that area of your work, but your ultimate hope. What is your ultimate hope? What is it you place your deepest hope in? One of the greatest statements written about David is actually found in the New Testament. This is in the book of Acts in chapter 13. In 13, verse 36, it says, Now when David had served God's purposes, when he had served God's purposes in his own generation, he fell asleep and he was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. David had his day. He had his day when he was young and full of promise and when he was an old man and he got some things right and he got some things terribly wrong, but he had served God's purposes. You can do that. In fact, you can put your name right into that verse. You can say, now when Larry or Suresh or Jose or Stella or or Junior or, or you when you had served God in your generation.
1: Hmm.
0: You may know in the New Testament, one of the most important titles given to Jesus is that he was the son of David. Interestingly, that's, that's not a distinction given to anybody else in the Bible. Jesus is never called the son of Moses or the son of Abraham. Why the son of David? It wasn't because of David's giftedness, and it wasn't because of his moral track record. It's because it was a title of hope. For one glimmering moment under the reign of David, the people of Israel were united and they flourished And after that, it all began to fall apart. After his son Solomon came to the the throne, came division, and then exile, and then darkness. David was at that one brief shining moment, and Israel never forgot. Hmm. I can think of a day, a kingdom in our day, a kingdom of unprecedented joy and success, which one day was plunged into darkness. I can think of those days when the, the opponents came to town, but the presence of the raptors appeared to them, <laughs> and the glory of the raptors shone around them, and they were sore afraid. I can think of the day that the raptors wore the crown, but then in the next season came darkness, And losing and weeping and gnashing of teeth, but only for a season. You know, the Greek word for crown, the word in the Bible is the word Stephanos, from which we get Stephen or Steph. The crown will return. This one is true. You can look it up. The glory will return. It's gone only for a season. This is not the last dance. Israel would look back and dream their dreams to think one day we'll have a king like that again. One day the glory will come back. King David wrote this at the end of his most famous psalm. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now that's not just hope. That's ultimate hope. That's what we'll call in this series later on, our blessed hope. Hope is so powerful. When it's clear that you will not get what you're hoping for, that day will come. The question will be, but what have you put your ultimate hope in? It's David in the Psalms who told his own soul, put your hope in the Lord. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of God. Of the Lord. I imagine David was probably an old man when he spoke those words. Long gray beard, wrinkled up face. Maybe he remembered when he was young and handsome, and maybe he thought about that strange old prophet Samuel who'd poured oil on him and the mysterious words that began it all. And how on that day the Spirit of the Lord came over him, and how David decided the way that young men and young women do that when he was in charge, when he was leading things, everything would be different. He'd get it all right. And sometimes he did. And sometimes he got things just so wrong. But something inside of him said, Nevertheless, I will dwell. I will dwell in the house of the Lord. David was a stubborn guy. I think he must have had the heart of a racehorse. He said, I will stay in the Lord's house. I may make a mess. I may spill on the rug. I may, may, I may knock over the lamps and break the expensive stuff. But you're going to have to drag me out of here kicking and screaming. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's Jesus' house. And one day he will come back. One day in glory he will return. One day he will put that crown, Stephanos, on his head. And he'll set the house in order. And if you put your hope in Jesus, if you make him your forgiver and your leader and your guide and your friend, he is your hope. He is your fallback hope. He is your world-class hope. He is your ultimate hope. Because we don't hope in hope itself. We hope in a person. And for us, hope has a name. So let's sing his name together again as we close.
1: Christ alone, what is our only confidence, that our souls to Him belong, who holds our days within His hand, what comes apart from His command, and what will be
0: For you, our prayer for us, our prayer for this season, the words of Romans 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you place your trust in him. Why? So that you can overflow, overflow with hope. How? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. At work in you. May God go with you. May you know his peace. And may that peace dwell in you in such a powerful way that discouragement may never take root and you overflow with hope. Have a good week. We'll see you next Sunday.